0: Act Two of Dr. Johnson, a Play by Mr. A. Edward Newton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Characters in Act Two.
1: Mrs. Thrill, read by phone. Judson, read by Liania. Rattle, read by Eva Davis
2: Footman, read by Philip Watson
3: Miss Burney, read by Sonia
2: Mr. Murphy, read by Aaron White
4: Sir Joshua Reynolds, read by Alan Mapstone
2: Mr. Garrick, read by Thomas
5: Peter
6: Dr. Johnson, read by Jim Locke.
5: Mr. Thrale, read by Stephen Fellows
7: Dr. Goldsmith, read by Adrian Stevens. General Paoli,
8: read by Lynette Cockins. Mr. Boswell, read by Campbell Shelp.
9: Miss Moore, read by Elsie Selwyn.
3: Miss Stretfield, read by Sandra Schmidt. Mrs. Delaney, read by Abayi.
10: Mr. Baretti, read by Pierre.
0: Narrated. By Todd. The drawing room at Streatham, a large country house a few miles from London. Upon the walls are fine portraits of Dr. Johnson, Henry and Mrs. Thrale, Fanny Burney, Garrick, Goldsmith, and others from the brush of Reynolds. Windows to the floor open upon a park of great beauty. Under the trees, deer may be seen. It is afternoon. Double doors closed. To the left, open into a large dining room. Double doors to the right, open, reveal a large comfortably furnished hall. Everything suggests comfort rather than magnificence, although evidences of wealth are not lacking. There is a large table filled with books. Comfortable chairs bound. Tall vases are filled with flowers. Heavy silver candlesticks are conveniently placed. From the ceiling are suspended two large crystal lustres containing innumerable wax candles. Some years have passed since Dr. Johnson first visited the Thrails, with whom he now spends most of his time, although he still maintains lodgings in London. Mrs. Thrale enters, followed by Judson, a footman, to inspect the room, for a formal dinner party will soon be in progress.
1: Judson, see that Dr. Johnson is presentable when he comes down. That he wears his best suit, his shoes with silver buckles, and his new wig. Be particular about the wig. His old ones is so singed from the candles that it must be discarded. Lose it forever somewhere. Yes, ma'am. Mr. Thrill has ordered the wine? What have we? Hawk, claret, port, and brandy, ma'am. Have vast quantities of tea and lemonade also, for Dr. Johnson? Yes, ma'am. Send rattle to me. Yes, ma'am.
0: He goes out. Mrs. Thrale, giving a tug at a great bunch of roses, to herself.
1: Who could have supposed that I, the wife of a rich brewer, would be entertaining at dinner the most distinguished company in London?
0: Enter Rattle.
1: You sent for me, ma'am. See if Miss Burney wants anything, and tell her I await her in the drawing-room. Then tell Miss Streetfield where I am.
0: To herself.
1: She shall shed tears for us after dinner. It will amuse Mr. Thrale, who is in low spirits. Yes, ma'am.
0: She goes out. Mrs. Thrale, taking up a book, which she discards as Miss Burney enters.
1: Oh, there you are. I have been awaiting you this hour or more. What a pretty frock. Dr. Johnson will be pleased. He always notices what ladies wear, in spite of the fact that he is almost blind. He once said to me, "'Why are you dressed in that evil-looking gown? Go to your room and change it. Women, like butterflies, should always wear gay colours. "'Oh, if Dr.
3: Johnson should speak so to me, I would swoon. Ten to one he will not know I am in the room.'
1: "'Wait and see, my dear. Dr. Johnson is eager to make the acquaintance of the author of Evelina.' I hope
3: the room may be crowded when he enters, that I may escape unnoticed. Dr.
1: Johnson would be here now if he suspected you were in the room. He is always the first at any function.
0: Footman announces Mr. Murphy, who enters. Your servant, madam. Steps to one side. Footman announces Sir Joshua Reynolds, who enters, carrying an ear trumpet.
1: Oh, dear Sir Joshua, how good of you! But you come, I am sure, not so much to see us as to see Miss Burney here, the author of
4: Evelina.
0: Sir Joshua, bowing and shaking hands.
4: Is she here, the prodigy? I laid ten guineas that the author was a man about town of my acquaintance, and now it turns out the book which is the talk of all london was written by the daughter of my old friend and present neighbour dr burney we live in amazing times
1: let me present you come my dear miss burney and meet two admirers sir joshua reynolds who has known you all of your young life and mr murphy who no doubt will soon be teasing you to join him in writing a comedy he says such wit and such power of observation as you display cannot fail to take the town by storm he is already revolving in his mind a plot oh madam oh sir do not mention it i beg of you
3: my father is greatly shocked that i should have written a novel judge of his feelings should he hear that i whose knowledge of the world is chiefly gathered from conversations overheard in our drawing-room, was engaged upon a comedy.
0: Footman announces Mr. and Mrs. Garrick. Mr. Garrick, rather stiltedly, t'was only when off the stage he was acting. Madam, you're most obedient.
1: So very good of you, Mr. Garrick, and Mrs. Garrick, too. So very pleased.
0: They shake hands.
1: I hope you did not find a journey from town tedious. The roads are so dusty at this season. I was saying to Dr. Johnson only an hour ago.
0: Footman announces Dr. Johnson, who at once goes up to Mr. Garrick.
6: Well, Davy, and what are you exhibiting yourself now? Mr.
0: Garrick, somewhat nettled. Sir, I am playing, and I may say
10: with some success, Richard the Ha 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 ha
6: ha! The fellow claps a hump on his back and a lump on his leg and cries, I am Richard the third. It won't do, Davy, it won't do.
10: I beg to assure you, sir, it will do very well. The house is crowded every night.
6: Nay, sir, a crowded house means nothing. People will crowd a house to see a dog walking on its hind legs.
0: Walks away. Mr. Thrale, who has entered the drawing room unobserved. Mr. Garrick, in the words of
5: Johnson... Ben, not Sam, to-night, good sir, both my poor house and I, do equally desire your company. Not that we think us worthy such a guest, but that your worth will dignify our feast. You must forgive Dr. Johnson his rudeness, which is indeed only a cloak for his regard. He will permit no one to abuse you but himself.
10: Sir, I have often been told. I was once his pupil. We came to London together, penniless. I gave the town what it wanted, he what it deserved. I have had applause. He, toil, envy, want, the garret and the jail. But, sir, Dr. Goldsmith has said the last word concerning him. There is nothing of the bear about him but its skin. I would add
5: its claws also, but I am taming him.
0: Footman announces Dr. Goldsmith.
5: Ah, I am glad to see you. We were just speaking of you. They shake hands.
7: Nothing to my disadvantage, I hope. Certainly my apparel is beyond criticism. I've just had this suit from my tailor. You'll agree, I think, that this plum colour is most unusual, most becoming. It is unusual, certainly.
10: Where did you get it?
7: From John Philby at the sign of the Harrow in Water Lane. I promised to mention it. I think it'd be much honoured if you call upon him. I am
10: quite sure of it. But you have the advantage of mean figure, your fine form sets off Mr. Philby's to great advantage.
7: Just what i observed, said, Philby. I'm glad that we agree. Great minds. You take me. Sir, but there is Dr. Johnson. I must show myself to him.
6: Ah, Goldie, I'm glad to see you. The play still goes well, I hear, and it deserves to. No comedy in many years has so much exhilarated an audience, has so well answered the end of comedy, that of making an audience merry. I am, sir, much honoured by the dedication.
7: Sir, it does me honour to inform the public that I have lived for many years in intimacy with you. I meant not so much to compliment you as myself.
6: Very handsomely said, but here we are bandying words with one another when we should be paying compliments to a young lady who has just begun to browse upon the literary common. You have met the daughter of my friend, Dr. Burney. Fanny, a shy little dunce, we thought her, Sir, she has written an excellent novel of London life and character. I never read a better.
7: That is praise indeed. And curiously enough, a day or two ago when I met Sir Joshua, he told me of a novel he had just been reading, a novel published anonymously by Lowndes, and which he said so intrigued him that he would give ten pounds to know the name of the author. We are speaking of the same book, Evelina. But sir, how can that be? He called on Lowndes and was informed of that the book in question was written by gentlemen. At THE OTHER END OF TOWN
6: AS Lowndes HAD EVERY REASON TO SUPPOSE BUT I ASSURE YOU EVELINA WAS WRITTEN BY FANNY BURNEY MY LITTLE BURNEY SHE CONFESSED TO IT NOT TEN MINUTES SINCE
7: YOU MUST PRESENT ME I
6: THINK I DO NOT KNOW THE YOUNG LADY WITH PLEASURE SIR DIRECT YOUR STEPS TO THE SOFA AT THE OTHER END OF THE ROOM I LEFT HER THERE IN THE COMPANY OF MRS. GARRICK THEY APPROACH MISS BURNEY THE BEST DRAMATIST AND THE BEST NOVELIST OF THE AGE SHOULD BE ACQUAINTED Dr. Goldsmith, Miss Burney, the daughter of my old friend.
3: Oh, sir, this is the most consequential day of my life. To have Dr. Johnson mention me in the same breath with the author of She Stoops to Conquer. I wish that I might rise to the occasion, but my legs are all of a flutter. I do not deserve this honor
6: don't say so my dear the public to whom we authors make appeal has agreed that you are certainly wittier and probably wiser than the generality of your sex rest satisfied with its opinion it seldom errs
1: and a public which includes dr johnson sir joshua and mr burke among the men and mrs montague elizabeth carter and miss moore among the women can hardly be in error
6: why no madam it would seem not but our fanny must be prepared to bear with a little abuse by and by she will not always be surrounded by her friends who love and flatter her i would prepare her if i could to meet the world
1: by what means sir by flattery my praise is a mere twitter compared with yours do you not agree dr goldsmith
0: dr goldsmith who has been looking at himself in a mirror and has heard nothing of the conversation I certainly do, madam. Turning to Dr. Johnson. I'm glad to see that Mr. Garrick is
7: able to be out again. But do you not think, sir, that he is aging?
6: Why, no, sir, you must remember that Garrick's face has had more wear and tear than any other man's. It is never at rest such an eternal, restless, fatiguing play of the muscles must certainly wear out a man's face before it's real time. Bernie, my dear, I think I shall take a seat by your side. I must speak to my host. He seems
7: for the moment to be at leisure. Mr. Thrale, I hope I'll see you well, sir.
5: Indifferent, well. We men of affairs have much to contend with, which you literary fellows know nothing of.
7: And we literary fellows have little with which to contend with the world, but, sir, I see admiration in your glance. This suit from Philby, John Philby, at the Harrow in Water Lane. Mr. Garrick has just observed that it sets off
0: my figure to great advantage. Mrs. Thrale coming up and overhearing the conversation.
1: And I'm sure no one has greater taste in dress than Mr. Garrick.
0: Do I hear my name?
1: You do, Mr. Garrick. I was just observing to Mr. Goldsmith that no one had ever played such a great variety of characters as yourself, that you excelled equally in comedy and in tragedy. Although
7: I have every reason to be satisfied with the success of my comedy, I'm... Bitterly disappointed that Mr. Garrick could not see his way
0: clear to the part of Tony Lumpkin. Dr. Johnson, joining the party.
6: Do you remember, sir, when we were all in labour for a title for the play, and how I suggested the mistakes of a knight while you were insisting upon she stoops to conquer?
7: Yes, and for once I neglected to take your advice without
6: living
0: to regret it. Footman announces General Paoli and Mr. Boswell. A large, fine-looking man of distinguished bearing and Mr. Boswell enter. Mrs. Thrale welcomes the first effusively, and the latter with some reserve.
1: General, we are much honoured. Mr. Boswell, you see your hero with Dr. Goldsmith. Dr. Johnson has just been saying that if the selection of his biographer were left to him, he would undoubtedly select Dr. Goldsmith. That he has put his hand to every form of composition, and has equally adorned them all.
0: Mr. Boswell, somewhat nettled.
8: Except the biographical, madam. It is my set purpose to write the life of my revered friend. When it appears, and I hope that may not be for twenty years, it will be found to be the greatest biography that has ever been written. Have I not the greatest subject? I mean not only to give a history of Dr. Johnson's visible progress through the world, but a view of his mind, so far as it is within my power to do so.
1: No doubt you will take his life with all skill, but here comes the great man. Let us not appear to be talking about him.
8: Good evening, Dr. Johnson. I hope I see you well after our dissipation of last night. I confess my head ached very considerably this morning.
6: Why, sir, I am not surprised to hear it. I have no objection to a man's drinking wine if he can do it in moderation. I cannot drink in moderation, therefore I never touch it. But, sir, it was not the wine that made your head ache, but the sense that I put into it.
0: Mr. Boswell, thinking he has him.
6: Why,
8: Dr. Johnson, does sense make the head ache?
6: Yes, sir, when the head is not used to it.
0: General Paoli, coming up and very respectfully saluting Dr.
6: Johnson.
8: Dr. Johnson, you are, I presume, inculcating lessons of sobriety and decorum upon our young friend
6: here. Why, sir, I'm always doing so, with what effect you may judge.
8: But, sir, much may be said in favor of drinking, in vino veritas, you know.
6: I do, but I would not keep company with a man who lies when he is sober, and whom you must make drunk before you can get a word of truth out of him. Drinking should be practised with great prudence. A man who exposes himself when he is intoxicated has not the art of getting drunk.
8: Dr. Johnson, you would, I am sure, recommend claret. One can drink a deal of claret without inconvenience.
6: Why, no, sir, it is poor stuff. One can be drowned with claret before one feels the effect of it. Claret is the liquor for boys, port for men, and brandy for heroes.
0: With a bow.
6: You, General, would naturally drink brandy. Indeed, brandy will soonest do for a man what drinking can do for him.
0: Mr. Boswell, standing between Paoli and Johnson.
8: I feel, gentlemen, like an isthmus uniting two great continents.
6: "'Which means, I take it, that your narrowness is apparent and your depth concealed? "'But there's Garrick, I said something a few minutes ago, which nettled him. "'I must go and make it up with him.'
0: Walking up to him,
6: "'Are you at your villa at Hampton, a charming place? "'When is your good lady going to ask me to drink a dish of tea with her?' "'I
10: am sure that she would be honoured as your mentioning it.' And I hope when you are next in the vicinity of Drury Lane, you will look in on me in the green room.
6: No, Davy, I'll come no more behind your scenes. The silk stockings and white bosoms of your actresses excite my amorous propensities.
0: Footman announces Miss Hannah Moore, a slightly deaf old lady. Mrs. Thrale comes forward to receive her.
1: So very pleased. You did not come alone. No, I came with dear Mrs. Delaney,
9: who seeks a few moments' repose after the fatigue of the journey.
1: Which was without incident, I hope? Quite.
0: Dr. Johnson, talking to Mr. Garrick.
6: I found him an insufferable prig. Miss Moore,
0: overhearing Dr. Johnson's remark.
6: Did you say
9: he was a Whig?
6: No, madam, I said he was a prig, but indeed he is both prig and whig.
10: I, too, Emewig. I wonder
0: why you do not make me a Tory. You love to make people Tories. Dr. Johnson, drawing some copper coins from his pocket.
6: For the same reason that the king did not make these pence guineas, not the proper medals, sir.
0: Mr. Garrick walks away in high dungeon. Dr. Johnson turns to Mr. Boswell.
6: Now I have offended him again, yet I love him. A game of jokes is composed partly of skill, partly of chance. A man may be beat at times by one who has not a tenth part of his wit. Davy is the first man in London for sprightly conversation.
8: And yet I heard you abuse him. You were telling me only the other day of his having refused you an order for the play to the
0: value of three shillings. Dr. Johnson, with a stern look,
6: sir i have known david garrick longer than you have and i know no right you have to talk to me on this subject garrick was very poor when he began life and so when he came to have money he probably was unskilful in giving it away and saved when he should not but i know that he has given away more money than any man in england that i am acquainted with
1: and he has a very pretty talent for poetry do you remember his song in florizel and perdita i'd smile with the simple and feed with the poor
6: nay my dear lady that will never do poor davy smile with the simple what folly is this and who would feed with the poor that can help it no no let me smile with the wise and feed with the rich as i shall shortly be doing life here madam is as near felicity as life may be expected to be but where is little bernie we are neglecting her shamefully
1: over on the sofa yonder in the company of sir joshua
6: reynolds she could not possibly be in better he has known her for many years without in the least suspecting she was a genius the little hussy i must sit by her at dinner
1: so you shall but will not her head be turned with all this flattery
6: why no madam the established wits will keep her in her place it will be difficult for her to maintain herself in conversation for observation rather than retort is her fort she will need all her friends when one bursts unheralded on the town the town feels cheated of watching an assent
0: they approach miss burney who is talking to sir joshua reynolds through his ear-trumpet
3: yes sir i sold the manuscript to mr lowndes for twenty guineas and thought I had done excellently well for myself.
4: Twenty guineas? My dear young lady, the book was worth a hundred. But one has to make a beginning. I sat up all night reading it, and had to deny myself to some sitters the next day. I shall recommend it to all my friends, AND MAKE IT UNFASHIONABLE NOT TO HAVE READ IT.
0: DR. JOHNSON COMES UP.
4: WE WERE TALKING OF EVELINA.
6: THE SUBJECT IS INEXHAUSTIBLE. I AM TO SIT NEXT TO MISS Burney AT DINNER. I SHALL BE VERY PROUD.
4: WE SHALL HAVE TO BE VERY CAREFUL OR SHE MAY PUT US INTO HER NEXT BOOK. HER POWER OF OBSERVATION IS SO REMARKABLE. Her portraits would be unmistakable.
6: She would not dare burlesque her friends. Miss
0: Moore, joining the party.
9: Oh, I'm sure she would not. Consider, Dr. Johnson, the respect we have for you. It amounts almost to a feeling of awe. Peers obey your nod, and I am told that duchesses hang upon your words, that your company is more sought than that of any man in London.
6: Stop, madam, stop. Consider what your flattery is worth before you choke me to death with it. More kindly. You were permitted to say some things behind a man's back that you would not say to his face.
9: I heard Bishop Percy say at Chesterfield House that you could, by giving a sign, make or break a literary reputation.
6: Madam, I take refuge in incredulity.
9: I am so sorry that I never saw your play, Irene i have read that it was the finest tragedy of modern times
6: you have not read that statement in a bound book madam
9: it was written by one pot
6: madam if one pot says so pot lies
0: walks away as james boswell comes up
9: mr boswell i understand that you are collecting material to write the life of our revered friend i trust it may be many years before you do so but should the time come you will i hope mitigate somewhat the asperities of his disposition.
8: Madam, I shall not cut his claws or make my tiger a cat to please anybody. I may ask Miss Burney here to give me some anecdotes as she sees the great dictionary-maker in deshabille as it were. I know Dr. Johnson, the lexicographer, the philosopher and moralist, but you know Johnson, the lady's man, a side that is hidden from me. And if I do,
3: Mr. Boswell, I shall impart my knowledge to my only confidant,
8: my journal. I am not to be balked of my purpose of making a well-rounded portrait, to which end I shall apply to Mrs. Thrale.
0: Addressing himself to that lady.
8: Ah, madam, have you not repeatedly heard Dr. Johnson say that if he had no duties, he would spend his life driving briskly in a post-chaise with a pretty woman?
1: i have never heard dr johnson say any one thing repeatedly he has too fertile a mind for that but i have heard him utter the sentiment you refer to adding "But she should be one who could understand me and add something to the pleasure of conversation
8: i have upon occasions visited the green rooms with him and the actresses invariably make much of him mrs abington positively flirted with him and we all know how partial he is to kitty clive Certainly.
1: I have heard him declare that she was a better romp than ever he saw in nature.
8: And he is not without experience. When we were on our journey to the Hebrides, a lovely pretty young woman, hearing that he was come from London, peeped into the room in which we were sitting to have a glimpse of the great lexicographer. Some of her friends dared her to place herself upon his knee, put her arms around his neck, and give him a kiss. She took the dare, and what do you think the doctor said? I hope he corrected the brazen hussy. Not at all, madam. He was quite equal to the occasion. He said, do it again, let us see who gets tired first.
0: Dr. Goldsmith, coming up.
7: I'm quite at a loss to account for his popularity. I've observed that women frequently prefer his company to that of men of much greater physical and at least equal mental attractions. Men sometimes surrender their minds to his in a most surprising manner. A few moments ago, a gentleman said, Doctor, and I naturally turned towards him. What do you suppose he said? No, tis not you I mean, Doctor Minor. Doctor Major there. It's enough to make a man commit suicide.
0: Dr. Johnson overhears the last part of the conversation, then meditatively.
6: Death will overtake us all too soon. No need to summon him.
0: Rousing himself.
6: Sir, let the subject alone. You, write well, be satisfied with that, and do not seek always to shine in conversation. Oh, Dr. Johnson, that reminds me. I've written a fable which I wish to submit to you.
7: School of little fishes, seeing that birds can fly in the air which covers the land and the water alike, while well, they would die if they were taken from the water, petition Jupiter to change them into birds.
6: <laughs> Such writing is very easy.
7: Why, sir, it's not as easy as you seem to think. If you were to make little fishes talk, they would talk like whales.
0: Dr. Johnson, blowing like a whale, retires. Footman announces Mr. Piozzi, Mrs. Carter, Miss Streetfield Enter a distinguished foreign looking gentleman who bows very low to Mrs. Thrale, a charming old lady in an elaborate cap and a very beautiful young woman, whose chief accomplishment appears to have been ability to force real tears to run down her cheeks, much to the delight of Henry Thrale.
1: Buongiorno, Signor.
0: With a slight bow.
1: Mrs. Carter, welcome. How sweet you look. Sophie
0: To Miss Streetfield
1: mr thrill has been asking for you don't fail to humour him if he asks you to weep for him he seems very ill to me
0: in a low voice
1: i shall be glad when this dinner is over
0: dr
4: johnson who is that very charming old lady i should love to paint her
6: that is my dear friend mrs elizabeth carter the translator of Epictetus. And equally good at making a pudding. A very accomplished woman. Let me present you.
0: Turning to Mrs. Carter.
6: Madam, I am pleased to see you. My friend Sir Joshua Reynolds craves the honor of your acquaintance. They bow. I've told him of your accomplishments, not the least of which is your skill with a pudding. Mr.
0: Thrale to Sovie Streetfield.
5: You are looking very well today. Strange that tears which spoil other faces only increase the beauty of yours. She takes his offered arm.
8: Dr. Johnson, have you met Dr. Franklin of Pennsylvania? He is a most distinguished man.
6: Distinguished in Pennsylvania, sir? But what is he in London? I've heard of his endeavour to force his acquaintance upon Mr. Gibbon.
8: Mr. Gibbon is an ugly, disgusting man
6: and poisons our club for me.
4: When did he meet Dr. Franklin?
6: why sir it appears that mr gibbon and dr franklin as you call him were spending a night at the same inn on the road to paris franklin discovering that gibbon and he were under the same roof sent the landlord to say that he would be pleased to pass the evening with him to which mr gibbon very properly replied that while he esteemed him as a man yet as an enemy to his king and country he had no wish to make his acquaintance
4: very well said "'But, sir, you
8: appear not to have heard the sequel.' Dr. Franklin, in a polite note, replied that when in the course of Mr. Gibbon's writing of The Decline and Fall of Empires, he came to write of The Decline and Fall of the British Empire, he would be happy to furnish him with such material as might otherwise escape his attention.
6: "'A fly, sir, may sting a noble animal, yet it yet remains a fly.' I am willing to love all mankind, except an American. They are a race of convicts and ought to be thankful for anything we do to them, short of hanging.
9: Dr. Johnson, I am going to ask if you will oblige me by looking over the pages of a tragedy I am writing. I have not quite finished it yet. I have so many irons in the fire.
6: Then, madam, I would urge you to put your tragedy in the fire along with your irons.
1: Dr. Johnson... Here is a lady, a very particular friend of mine, anxious to make your acquaintance. Mrs. Delaney, I present my good friend, Dr. Johnson.
6: I am honoured by your notice, madam. Your dictionary, sir, has given me
3: so much pleasure, while it changes the subject very often.
6: I confess that it does, madam, have that fault in common with most dictionaries.
3: I observed with pleasure that it has very few naughty words in it.
6: I hope, madam, that you have not been looking for them.
3: Oh, fie, Dr. Johnson, how can you say such a thing? I did, however, observe that you omitted altogether the word ocean.
6: Omit the word ocean, madam, impossible.
0: Stalking across the room to the dictionary, which lies upon a table, finding the word and pointing to it.
6: There is the word, madam, but you would look for it in vain if you spell it O-S-H-U-N.
0: I have
8: compared your work with that of the French Academy, and I am overjoyed to see in how many respects it excels.
6: Why, sir, what would you expect from fellows that eat frogs?
8: Did the making of the definitions give you much trouble?
6: Thought rather than trouble. We all know what light is, but it is not easy to tell what it is.
3: But, sir, how came you to define pastern as the knee of a horse?
6: Ignorance, madam, pure ignorance. The fact is, a dictionary is like a watch. The worst is better than none, and the best cannot be expected to go always right.
0: Mr. Baretti, the Italian tutor in the Thrale family, coming up unannounced.
6: Ah, Baretti, here I am placed on the defensive by a lady who challenges the definitions in my dictionary. To frivolous
10: censure, sir. No other answer is necessary than that supplied by your own very excellent preface. The dictionary is a monument of scholarship and I deeply regret that the Italian language has nothing comparable with it.
8: Dr. Johnson, were you disturbed when the town... Having in mind your definition of pension, an allowance made to anyone without an equivalent, in England it is generally understood to mean pay given to a state hireling for treason to his country, criticized you for the acceptance of one?
6: Disturbed at the criticism of the town? Certainly not. I wish my pension had been twice as large, that the public could have made twice as much fuss about it. The pension, sir, was given not for anything I was to do, but for what I had already done.
0: Mr. Thrale, in a loud voice, I have an announcement
5: to make. Few of my guests know that this company is assembled in honor of Mrs. Thrale's birthday. We shall drink her health at the table. Meantime, I wish to present her with these flowers.
0: Handing her a huge bouquet of roses.
1: Oh, sir, you embarrass me. At my time of life, birthdays are more honoured in the
8: breach than in the observance. I assure you, madam, the years have left no trace. You might indeed be taken for one of your own daughters.
1: You flatter me. And you are at the same time busying yourself with the problem. How old is she? Well, I confess to...
0: With a smile.
1: Thirty-five. Pouting nobody sends me verses nowadays yet swift fed stella with them till she was six and forty i remember do dr johnson make a set impromptu with the rhyme on thirty five not more remember
0: dr johnson walking up and down in deep thought clapping his hands together quite unconsciously attracting the attention of all
6: why madam a request from a lady upon her birthday is in the nature of a command let me see
0: very slowly until he gets fairly started
6: often danger yet alive we are come to thirty-five long may better years arrive better years than thirty-five could philosophers contrive life to stop at thirty-five time his hours should never drive o'er the bounds of thirty-five high to soar and deep to dive. nature gives at thirty-five ladies stock and tend your hive trifle not at thirty-five for how where we boast and strive life declines from thirty-five he that ever hopes to thrive must begin at thirty-five and all who wisely wish to wive must look on thrale at thirty-five
0: there is much applause during which can be heard marvellous
8: astonishing
1: oh sir you are a wonderful man
6: nay madam now you see what it is to come to a dictionary maker for verses do you observe that the rhymes run in alphabetical order exactly
1: which only increases my amazement
6: let
2: me shake your hand sir
6: you have given us a
2: wonderful example of your readiness "'Astounding at your age! "'What
6: would you not
2: give, sir, to be thirty-five once more yourself?'
6: "'Why, sir, I should be content to be as foolish almost as you are.'
2: "'But we are getting on, Dr. Johnson, we are getting on.'
6: "'We are, sir, as you say, getting on, "'but that is no reason why we should discourage one another.'
2: "'You are a philosopher, sir.' I have tried too in my time, to be a philosopher, but I don't know how. Cheerfulness was always breaking in.
1: Signor Piozzi has been good enough to yield to my persuasions and will play and sing for us that exquisite aria parlante, which is the talk of the town, if we may have a moment's quiet.
0: Conversation ceases. Signor Piozzi takes his place at the pianoforte, and for a few moments plays and sings very agreeably. When he ceases, there is a rush to thank and congratulate him. Dr. Johnson only seems unimpressed. Superbly done. To Dr. Johnson. That piece is very difficult.
6: Sir, I would that it had been impossible.
8: Dr. Johnson, we have had good talk. You have tossed and gored several persons. It is a pleasant company.
6: "'Why, sir, Mr. Thrale gathers about him the best. "'I will not say the highest company in London. "'He is a remarkable man. I honour him. "'If his mind marks the hours rather than the minutes, it is enough. "'He does not burden himself with details.'
8: "'He is a gentleman.'
6: "'He is, sir, a new species of gentleman, living, as you see, in vulgar prosperity.'
8: "'His time is, I suppose, largely spent in making money.'
6: It is, sir, and there are indeed few ways in which a man can be more innocently employed than in making money.
8: He might devote himself to literature.
6: For his amusement, sir, the happiest life is that of a man of business, with some literary pursuits for his amusement.
0: Enter Footman, who throws open the doors. Dinner is on the table.
6: Good. A time comes in a man's life when he is in need of the repairs of the table.
0: Immediately, a procession is formed. Two by two in tragedy step, they entered the dining room. Mr. Thrale with Sophie Streetfield on his arm. Mr. Murphy offers his arm to Miss Burney, who accepts it, upon which Dr. Johnson almost knocks over several people in an effort to retrieve Miss Burney, which he at last does, much to Mr. Murphy's chagrin. Mrs. Thrale puts her arm through Mr. Murphy's and leads him in as the curtain falls. The curtain remains down one minute to suggest the lapse of one hour. When it is raised, the stage is deserted. Almost immediately, the doors to the dining room are thrown open, and a number of the guests rush out in great confusion.
2: Mr. Thrale
10: will recover. He has had these
2: attacks before. That is the trouble. He has been repeatedly warned by his physician against overeating. I observed that he had become very flushed just before he fell forward is he dead no
10: but the attack is a severe one he must be bled
1: oh sir let no time be lost these attacks come with increasing frequency
0: dr johnson taking control of the situation to a servant
6: send a man at once on horseback to dr brocklesby and tell him a valuable life is at stake meanwhile mr thrale must be got to his bed dr goldsmith will give us the benefit of his skill he has not, I hope, forgotten the use of a lancet.
0: Girton falls as Henry Thrale is seen quite unconscious in a large chair carried by two servants. End of Act Two